abundant in volume yet scarce, soothing and relaxing yet bearing a devastating force. Defies the laws of physics and it can heal as much as it can harm. It is the source of life. I'm Idan, and from Israel Newtech and PI Media, this is Waterline. Welcome back to Waterline. We are in the midst of our series within a series about the Israeli model for water sustainability, spelt, if you remember, structure, pricing, education, legislation, and technology, which is next on our bill. But prior to discussing this element as a part of the model, I'd be happy to establish, first, what do we mean when we say technology? An episode-long prologue, if you will. A constant buzz phrase synonymous with innovation is thinking out of the box. But what if there was never a box to begin with? Three Israeli companies, out of hundreds of companies, will showcase their technological solutions in this episode. In some regards, these companies had to create a box for themselves to think out of, just to be considered innovative. There was no need for that. Their ideas and solutions are, pure and simple, smart. And it is indicative of Israeli water technology companies as a whole, and the reason behind this brazen statement will be fully presented in our next episode. If you wish to talk about the dawn of engineering-based water technology solutions, we must go way, way, way back in time. Allow me to begin with a brief rush through history. 10,000 BCE, the first agricultural revolution. Humanity left their hunter-gatherer nomadic lifestyle and thus land cultivation and settlements begin to appear. Based on archaeological findings, it took us humans some 6,000 years to develop the first comprehensive, well, I guess I might be a bit underplaying it here. Um, let us say the first unbelievably complex, smart, beautifully planned and innovative plumbing system found in the Indus Valley in modern-day Pakistan. Sadly though, the meticulous engineering and the lessons learnt along the way by the gifted engineers of the Harappan civilization were forgotten and abandoned and the know-how of indoor plumbing and integrated freshwater and wastewater systems was all but forgotten by the time we get to medieval Europe. You see, more often than not, throughout history, technological advancements, especially in engineering, were lost in translation. Our first guest today is a CEO of a company that if you would tell a 4000 BCE Harappan engineer what this guy is doing, he might have contemplated employing this technology. Unfortunately, though, we can only assume that for that ancient times engineer, outer space was something unfathomable. Let us begin with the basics. This is Eli Peretz, CEO of Utilis. Utilis is uh, in the business of uh, non-revenue water. 
on revenue water is the gap between what uh, water utilities are buying or producing and what they are selling to us, the public. It's a very simple calculation. They know how much water they bring into their systems and how much they sell to us. And anything that they don't charge for is a non-revenue water. It's anywhere between 15% to 50% or 60%. We are focusing on uh, the Western world where it is anywhere between 15% to 30% in terms of uh, water loss. That's a lot of water. It sounds straightforward, looking for leaks under the paved roads. They've been doing it for years. However, the way in which Utilis chose to tackle it... We find leaks from space. You find leaks from space? We detect leaks from space. We are using satellite technology. Specifically, we're using radar mounted on a satellite. And we're using those radar images to identify what is happening just a few feet, a few meters below the ground. We are looking for uh, the very specific signature of water in the ground. Meaning? So radar is detecting materials. Uh, using the right wavelength and using the right uh, algorithm to remove items that are not relevant to what we are looking for uh, help us to see the way water interacts with soil in the ground and even clean out non-treated water. So different water has different signatures. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, swimming pools, uh, groundwater, uh, irrigation... Each uh, and every type of water has a different signature, and we have the ability to see treated water specifically. So you want to tell me that every kind of water has a different fingerprint to it? Yeah, just taste it and you will see. (laughs) That's uh, how simple it is. Uh, Then the juice is the salinity level. We are specifically looking for the dielectric return of different water and the way the water interacts in the soil. It's not that we are... 100% 100% accurate. The whole area of working with uh, radar is very chaotic. There are hundreds of different variables that influence the signal and uh, interfere with the signal. And what we managed to do is to create an algorithm that remove a lot of those interferences and uh, come up with a system that is right more than it's wrong. Hmm. Mm. which is uh, good enough in terms of non-revenue water. The situation is so bad around the world that right now we are the most efficient way of finding leaks in uh, urban environment. Leak detection has two basic stages. Zoning, find the area where the problem might occur, either on a specific street or a bunch of streets, and listening, water utility companies train employees to hear the rush of water through pipes underground. Imagine a giant stethoscope to pinpoint acoustically where the leak might be. In 100% of the cases, a leak detection team with acoustic devices needs to go to the zone and pinpoint the exact location. Nobody is going to repair 50 meters or a street. Mm. You actually need the exact location of the leak. And the pinpointing is being done with acoustic uh, leak detection teams. So you, you actually add another layer? Or... So we have a layer of data that helps the leak detection teams to be more efficient. Without us, they can survey the entire system blindly. They would probably find, maybe, uh, if they're lucky, one leak a day. Hmm. Usually it's two leaks a week. And with our data, they can find as much as 10 or 12 leaks a day. They simply go to the locations that we provide them, and rather than... Looking blindly, they are focusing on the areas that we provide them. So anything that is better than what they are doing right now is good enough for them. 
And in locations where they find one leak a week, for them, two or three leaks a day, it's a magnitude. Do you own any satellites? No, we are a data company. We buy data, we analyze it, and we sell data. So in that regard, we have a model. I'm sure we didn't invent it, but I didn't hear, find any name. So I, I'm, I'm calling it DAS. DAS? Data as a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not SAS because our customers do not have access to our algorithm. Mm-hmm. They don't interact with our algorithm. All they do, they are giving us the boundaries of the areas that they want us to provide them the leaks. And from that point... We go ahead and acquire the image from the satellite companies that we are working with. We analyze the image. We pack the delivery to the customer. The essence is it's a GIS layer, but we deliver it to the customer on an app that we developed specifically. It's a ways for leaks. The beauty of that app is that it's not only helping the water utilities and the leak detection teams to find those leaks. It also helps us to get the data directly from the field into our database online and provide the customer with a dashboard of the overall situation with the project. How many leaks they found, how quick, how many miles they walk in order to find those leaks. And the most important thing, we get the data so we can analyze it further and improve the results. Remote sensing is a beautiful uh, area where uh, more and more tools, sensors, algorithms, and methods are being developed as we speak all over the world by huge groups to do better job of understanding what is happening around us. Those models are being implemented in smart cities. They are implemented in uh, agriculture. They are implemented in so many different ways to better understand what is happening around us and react quickly and not wait for the damage or the consequences or any other negative effect. Just prevent it before it happens. On 2018, we saved 3 million cubic meters all over the world. Just to give you an idea, our Kinneret, mm-hmm. all of it, the is 4 of, million. The Sea of Galilee. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so not three quarters of the Kinneret. How did anyone come up with this idea? Oh, thank you for the question. <laughs> <laughs> so the story starts with a young guy called Loren Guy, which is the founder of the company. He... was working in Beersheva University with uh, Professor Bloomberg in the remote sensing laboratory to look for water on Mars and Venus mm-hmm. or any other planet of their choice. <laughs> <laughs> and the issue was that uh, they had to find a way to look for the water a little bit under the ground. It was clear that they couldn't use a standard wavelength, not a visual uh, sensors. And this is how they came up with the idea of uh, using radar. Loren uh, went to work for a water company, and this is where everything clicks. And you can say on that regard that other than the fact that it's a brilliant guy with very advanced mind, just the right person in the right time identifying the problem and put everything together to come up with a solution. And this is what I think is the beauty of innovation. The uh, techniques are there. The science is already there. Finding the problem... that needs to be resolved by putting all those elements together is brilliant. And if you think that only municipal water utility companies find this technology useful, think again. We are being asked by all kinds of organizations that are being exposed to our technology, uh, how we can help them with our technology, even if it's not related to treated water. We are being exposed to problems that I, we have never heard of. Such as? 
such as uh, let's say that you are a northern country and uh, your energy is being generated by water so the amount of water that hits the dams by the end of the winter is something that you really want to predict because it can be translated to how much energy you can produce so how would you know that while it's still at the form of snow up in the mountains so that's a problem <laughs> that nobody knew that it exists but there are people that are dealing with this question and how would you do that without going feet by feet meter by meter and measuring you want to do it in a global way let's say that you are the UN and you have uh, invested millions of dollars in To dig water points for people all over the southern part of Sahara so they can take a bucket walk for a mile or two pump the water from the ground and carry the bucket back home okay and there are there are thousands of water points that the UN has created for those people around the, those areas and the question that they have asked us is uh, how many of them are operative they simply don't know please remember those are pipes stuck in the middle of nowhere with a manual machine on the top of it where people are manually pushing water outside of the ground. A mechanical straw. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are no sensors over there. No one from the UN is surveying those areas. Going over all those locations one by one would be probably impossible. How would you do that for space? Okay. So we have a solution for that as well. So the the questions or the problems that we can solve are in a very wide range of areas some of them are global like water leaks and some of them are not that big in terms of uh, economical uh, value but they touch a lot of people so it's a very high-tech technology that meets the low-tech mm-hmm. so this is where satellite meets plumbers landing back on planet earth and focusing on us humans and our activities basic axioms water is scarce we need water we pollute and once you set out to treat any h2o based liquid to bring it to its purest form you realize that you do not necessarily deal with wastewater treatment per se in comes dana hibnel business development manager at water fund investment group WFI group took as an agenda the water scarcity and put in front of his eyes the objective to reuse the water and wastewater as a high percentage as capable. It sounds to me like you're not the only Israeli company who deals with wastewater that did such a thing. Indeed, we have in Israel several water and wastewater companies, but if you look at the end of the day, the main idea is to take the existing solutions and to leverage them to the highest level. So if we look today, for example, at Toxob, uh, we're dealing today with zero liquid discharge industrial wastewater, meaning that the client on one hand saves the water consumption, on the other hand, eliminates the need to deal with regulators due to um, wastewater contamination. So you close the cycle and you generate a situation that on one hand, the client saves on the cost of water consumption. On the other hand, he has his own ecosystem he can deal with. And the main technology we developed is MAC. If we look at anorganic water treatment, we can take groundwater polluted with water high concentrations of contaminants, anorganic, and treated to drinking water level. 
If I look at biological wastewater, this is a sector that you definitely need a reuse. As you know, in Israel, the percentages of wastewater recycling for uh, irrigation are very high, more than 85%. We know how to take the wastewater not only for irrigating agriculture, but also for parks. Today we have the approval from the Ministry of Health that requires that it will be in the highest level just in case some kid will come around and drink from the irrigation uh, corridor. WFI Group, made up of three companies, perfected water treatment. Here are two of the group's leading technologies and how they work. Modified activated carbon is based on activated carbon. We take activated carbon due to its high surface area and attach on top of it a modifier. The modifier acts as a group that catches the specific pollutant which we target out of the wastewater into the filter. Comparing to different filters, we are able to regenerate the filter after we selectively remove the pollutant. For example, one of the contaminations we find quite vast in groundwater relates to perchlorate contamination. The source of perchlorate is rocket munition factory that contaminated the groundwater 10 years ago and today it's a massive contamination of groundwater which we can see in Israel and the US. Toxorb is treating the perchlorate from its high levels of hundreds of ppm to several ppbs. At the end of the day, we take the perchlorate with its high concentrations and bring it to the end user as drinking water. It might sound to you as a chemistry lesson, but what we actually do is take the perchlorate and break it down to its basic factors, chloride and uh, oxygen. We are able to create brine, which is non-toxic, something that you don't see in the industry, and we find it a, an amazing phenomenon. So up until now, we discussed the unorganic sector in our company based on the MAC technology. And now we're moving towards uh, TAIA, which is a technology for biological wastewater treatment. TAIA is capable to treat two kinds of wastewater, municipal wastewater for decentralized location and agricultural wastewater such as piggeries, which have high concentration of total nitrogen within the matrix. The main idea of the tire, which was developed in Israel, is to take the wastewater and with the most simple operation mechanism to enable the operator to treat the wastewater. If you compare us to intensive wastewater treatment systems or extensive, which require high land, we're the combination of both. On one hand, we provide the intensive wastewater as for the high quality effluent. And at the other side, we have wastewater as a simple operating mechanism, quite similar to extensive. We result with a system of minimum operation. We need an operator only once per week. Minimum of energy, 80% less comparing to conventional solutions. If we look at the conventional wastewater treatment systems, the basis is high energy consumption because of aerators and blowers which push actively oxygen into the system and minimum sludge. And when we're speaking about minimum sludge, if you compare it to conventional wastewater treatment systems, in our system, all that is needed is to wash the media once in eight to 10 years because the bacteria on top of the media is in starvation mode. 
a seasoned Waterline listener, a veteran of our podcast, will identify the following voice quite easily. The great thing about today is that now we know how to clean that water. We know how to clean the water completely. The byproduct of cleaning that water is that you can extract all the gunk that's in that water and that there's gold in that gunk. There's stuff you can take out of there, even out of the sewage, the stuff you flush down the toilet. There's nitrogen, there's potassium, and there's chemicals that actually have value that could be removed and, and reused, which has never been the mindset. It's always been thought of as a burden rather than an opportunity. It is Seth Siegel, author of Let There Be Water, Israel's Solution for a Water-Starved World. I could hear this sentence in my mind's ear when Dana Hibner said the following. Today, the European legislation is moving towards circular economy, meaning that if we look at total nitrogen, which is a nutrient that is vastly used as a fertilizer, the idea is not to eliminate it as part of the wastewater treatment. Biological wastewater for agriculture, piggeries, dairies, etc. is already existing, but the European market is seeking how to recycle the nutrients out of the wastewater. Imagine a farmer uh, that takes nitrogen and fertilizes with it the land in the farm. And his neighbor nearby, pig farm, has nitrogen in his wastewater and he eliminates it as part of the biological wastewater treatment process. If these both sources can combine together, meaning producing the nitrogen out of the piggery farm and providing it to its neighbor, this can create a circular economy on a very small scale between neighboring plots and all the way to a larger scale of selling the ammonia out of the nitrogen in the free market. This is something our scientists took on themselves in order to see how to develop a technology which is capable to answer this challenge. And we're definitely seeing a good fruitful results that are going to be in the next year outside in the European market. A lot of tweaking done to existing methods, one would say. But the driver, the ethos behind those tweaks, makes the entire difference. The development is based on uh, engineers and researchers and scientists coming out of Israel, long basis of R&D, a few years. And each technology which is developed in our group is first tested in Israel as a better site in a full-scale system and only then is delivered abroad for full-scale systems over there. I assume that the Israeli brains are the same as the European brains and as the American brains. How come this technology was developed in Israel and not anywhere else? The ecosystem in Israel requires the scientists to be... Very innovative, because if you look around, there are uh, new technologies breaking through, and you always need to provide the next step to be before. When writers vie, wisdom mounts, as the Talmudic saying goes. More about the Israeli water technology ecosystem and the way in which it drives Israeli engineers in the following episode. After the break, though, we will meet a person who had a eureka moment one day When he got to work and the path from Eureka, uh, the moment he had, not the town, led him to start his own company. Wish to learn more about Israeli technologies and the Israeli water sector? 
The people of Israel Newtech will be glad to answer your questions. Log on to IsraelNewTech.com and don't forget to follow Waterline on Facebook to get updates and give us your feedback. You can also follow me on Twitter at IdanC79. And now, back to the episode. Ari Goldfarb is the founder and CEO of Kandu. Kandu deals with wastewater. The how might sound almost ordinary in today's technological atmosphere. However, the what, or actually the where, is really what the story is all about. I'm in my background environmental engineer, so I was a process engineer in a treatment plant. And I was raising my bacteria in the treatment plant, feeding them day to day. It's a beautiful thing to get your bacteria, see them growing. And you know, in some days I was coming to work in the morning, and then I see that the bacteria is in a different color, different smell. They look differently. And you know immediately that something happened. It's very frustrating because your bacteria are collapsing and dying, and you don't know where it's coming from. You know there is a pollution. coming into the treatment plant and you have no control on it. This is where I understand that we have to look upstream. We have to look in the city, in this black box that we call the collection system. And we have to understand what we have there in real time and to control it. We in Kandu are looking into the sewage system, which is a quite a neglected area in our sector. The sewage system in cities is a very complex system. And what we do is... is we are monitoring the wastewater quality, looking into the wastewater quality of the city online all the time and searching for events that happens in the collection system. Event is everything that is changed from the normal wastewater quality or quantity in the collection system. The operator of the system are completely blind. They have no idea what's going on in the system. The major challenge in wastewater is the wastewater quality. If we compare wastewater to potable water, the potable water quality depends mainly on the source. The same with wastewater. But wastewater quality in cities, the sources are enormous. Every house is a source. Every restaurant is a source. Every hotel is a source. Every industry is a source. So chemical industry is another source, and in refinery are different sources. So every type of industry is a different source. All those kind of sources have different type of wastewater. And you can imagine this mix goes into the same collection system, and it all goes into one treatment plant. And the treated wastewater depends on the quality of the wastewater, which depends on the sources upstream. What is a good quality for wastewater? I never imagined I'm going to ask such a question, but I'm asking it now. What is a good source? How would you define good quality of wastewater? So I had a professor in the university that said that bacteria are like God. They, you cannot see them, and they can do everything. So the bacteria in the biological treatment actually can digest and can treat all kinds of chemicals, as long as it is a steady influx of this material. So if you're looking in a treatment plant in a city, If there are changes in the wastewater quality, it will damage the bacteria. It will damage the treatment plant. 
But it's also damaging the collection system itself, through the pipes, the pumps. It's also damaged by the quality of the wastewater. What is your product? What do you do? So what we do is actually bringing our client, which are the collection system operator, the water utilities, understanding what happens in real time in their collection system. So our solution is based on our hardware, which is an IoT controller that collects data from the wastewater, indicative parameter about the wastewater quality. Those units are installed in the manual underground system and collects data about wastewater quality 24-7. We transmit this data into the cloud through cellular network. In the cloud, we analyze this data, and based on this analytics and based together with the database from the client, we know to identify changes in the wastewater quality. For example, industry are focusing in production and focusing in their product. They don't take into account the wastewater. Sometimes they even don't know what happens in the wastewater. So There is a gap between the management who are really aware and they are looking to have environmental policy and between the production and the production lines and the production flow, which will behave sometimes differently than the management expect them to do. Sounds to me like poor management. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is happening in a big organization that there is a gap between the management decision and what really happens and down down in the production flow mm-hmm. and we see the results in the collection system I usually ask what would make me a good water citizen but in this case I'm going to ask what would make me a good wastewater citizen most of the influence on the wastewater quality is not coming from citizens if you were looking in a production plants chemical production plants refineries food and beverage one plant actually can contribute to wastewater pollutant loads as much as a small city. If you can compare one plant to your contribution, it will be quite minor. So if you create awareness within those industrial sources, that means that you can improve the wastewater quality dramatically. So what exactly is your technology? Because you are not really a, a high-tech plumber. You don't deal with any infrastructure. You, so your technology is what? Yeah. information technology you said IOT so Internet of things so you're just a high-tech guy yeah yeah it seems so yeah yeah I came from the switch and I'm a high-tech guy and and what we actually do is is data because uh, what we do is collecting data from the switch we combine this data and bring our client a very clear indication of what happens in real time in a very complex network So it's, it's, it's quite complex because we're doing a few things together. We create the way to collect data. So we actually develop our IoT controller and IoT unit to collect the data. We collect the data and analyze it. So we create our algorithm and the way to analyze it. But we also created a way that brings this data in a very simple way to the client. So the interface and everything that needs To transfer this complex data into insight this is also part of our solution so you're in your toolbox you don't have a shovel you have a, an algorithm and machine learning that's exactly right so we take all these data that we collect from the network we digest it and bring the client in a very simple way what is the pollution in the system so he can see in a very clear way if there is pollution in the system what is 
the level of the pollution in the system, where it's coming from and where it's heading to. The way we speak with the client is a very simple way. We are telling them, hey guys, we have an event in this corner, in this place, in this location. The event is caused by this plant and it will reach your treatment plant in three hours. So that's how we communicate with the client through his mobile. So actually we communicate in a proactive way to the client using push notification. So when there is an event, he can open the UI, can see the map, can see investigate what happened in the city. And on top of that, he can get reports and then better understand about past histories and other information that he would like to have. You might be thinking that here is a guy with a great idea, a bunch of engineers that developed technologies and mechanisms to support this idea, And that's all there is to it. You'll be wrong. Kandu in Japanese is a feeling of inspiration when you do something very special. That's what we do. We're looking into very dirty and challenging place, which is the collection system, piping system. But our vision is much bigger than that. We see wastewater as a source and we don't see that as a pain. But we also see what happened in the environment, in the seas and in the streams and rivers and how polluted they are. And our vision is to make it better. And to make it better by way of preventing this damage to reach the environment. So we see ourselves as a technology provider that brings insights, but also bring awareness completely part of the education of the people. So we believe that people would like to protect the environment. If they do something, if something is happening in the collection system or in the city, it's not because somebody wants to damage, it's because there's not enough awareness. And we want to bring that awareness from the side of our clients, but also the side of their clients, which are the industrial sources in the system. We don't know much about Harappan civilization. They left a wealth of written material, but we lack the ability to read it. The reasons for the demise of this civilization can only be speculated, and as unfortunate as it may sound, The knowledge of how they built the intricate water utility infrastructure in their cities was left unearthed for millennia until excavations during the 1920s revealed their ingenuity. I'm sorry I didn't get to see the look on the faces of the 20th century's archaeologists once they realized that the piping system in the 6,000-year-old city was made out of the same material the pipes in their modern homes was made out of. Copper. Luckily enough, in this day and age, technical know-how travels the world, and advancements made, be it gathering information from up above in outer space, through better, more sophisticated treatment of water, down to sensors that are able to alert an operator in real time once something goes wrong with his sewage system, can be shared and perfected. Innovation today is truly global. More than once in this episode, I've referred to an Israeli water technology ecosystem rather than just talking about companies or technology with a capital T or the practices of engineering. On Waterline's next episode, we will learn more about this ecosystem, as well as understand 
the gist of Israeli development practices. Elad Frankel, CEO of Aquise and the chairman of the Water Committee at the Israeli Export Institute, will be our guide. Israelis will do whatever they can to find an 80% solution in 20% of the time, and then we'll go to the next solution in every sector. The Israeli strength is to find the uh, maybe not optimal solution, but good enough solution, but do it quickly and do it effectively. And then in many cases, when we partner with companies from different parts of the world, we can reach the 100%. If you say what's the relative advantage of Israeli technology is to first innovate, find the solution to the problem, and then reach the stage of getting very close to the optimal solution in the most effective way. Waterline was brought to you by Israel Newtech and is a PI Media production.